0: One two Yeah, come on guys.
1: All right, good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody feeling this afternoon? All right, awesome, awesome, awesome! It's so good to see you guys. I take it you all had a good Thanksgiving. Yes, man. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of leftovers. <laughs> I am. I had. A, it's so funny because like I had a bowl of cereal this morning and I was just satisfied. I really was. I didn't want any turkey. I didn't want any mashed potatoes. I just wanted some like normal food for once. But anyways, it's good to see you guys in the house of the Lord. I am Pastor Tony, I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. If this is your first time here, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to come worship with us. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Why don't we all stand up before we begin? All right. Now, before we start our service, we have a brother or sister come up and share a quick testimony of what the Lord has done in her life. And I would like to call up Kirsten Rodriguez to come up and share. Yes, give a warm welcome as she comes up.
2: Praise God. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. And um, I just wanted to say, share something that encouraged me, and hopefully it can encourage you too. Um, recently, oh wow! Recently, God has been opening some doors and putting some op- new opportunities in my path. And at first, you know, my reaction is like, you know, wow, am I am I ready for this? Um, you know, is this this? It seemed like. Things uh, beyond what I'm I'm used to, beyond my level, but God is so good because He wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. And the Bible says, you know, the just shall live by faith. And sometimes we just have to take that first step when God is calling us to do something new, to go beyond what we're used to. You know, all we need to do is say yes, Lord, and to trust Him. And to take the step of faith, even though we can't see beyond, like, what the next things are going to happen. How is this all going to work out? How is this going to come together? You know, uh, and it was a bunch of things. Like, one thing being, you know, God, I really felt like God had wanted me to talk to somebody. But I, you know, with my eyes, I, you know, and my mind is thinking, well, this, this person, you know, doesn't seem too friendly with me. And I don't think they like me or whatever. But it's like, no, God's impressing on my heart. And it's like, okay, yes, Lord. You know whatever whatever you want. I'm just gonna you know just step out in faith, and God is so good. Um, and then when He does that, then breakthroughs come, and and you know the promises come, and and so many things after that. So just we just have to say yes, Lord, and obey. So the the verse I wanted to share that goes with that is from Hebrews 11:8. Okay, it's by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we just thank you, God, for your opening doors for us, for new opportunities. God, Lord, just give us a willing heart, God, that and a desire to see all that you have for us uh, manifest in our lives, in the lives of others. God impress upon us. Lord, that, that we can walk by faith, God, that we don't need to have all the answers at the time. We don't need to see the end from the beginning. We don't need to see the whole plan, but we can just be like a child, have childlike faith, God, and just come before you and say, yes, Lord, and you receive us, God, and you you work miracles, God. You do big things, God, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Test one, sir. going to speak up, guess who I borrowed in us, the judge is my defense, I'm going free, I heard the freedom back through the heart of, I'm the guard of hell, I'm going free, See it out, I'm going free, glory, glory. It's just a who I, Lord, I'm a brand new man, I'm going free, I'm on a narrow road, it's filled with grace and it's gonna lead me home, I'm going free, I'm going free. So Jesus be the center of it all Jesus be the center of it all. From beginning to the end It will always be It's always been you, Jesus Jesus Come on, sing that again See? You.
3: today, oh God. Jesus, there's no other name like your name. You are great. You are great in this place. We worship you today. Come on, I want you guys to think about where you're at in your life right now. I want you to think about different areas in your life. Maybe there's some areas where you're struggling in. Maybe there's some areas where you haven't fully surrendered to the Lord. We're gonna worship together. We're gonna declare that we want Jesus to be the center of it all. But before we do, I want you to spend a couple moments talking to the Lord right now. Maybe there's areas that you have to rededicate to him. Say, God, I want you to have your way. As the band keeps singing Jesus, I want us to speak his name over those areas and say, Jesus, they belong to you. Some of you haven't been here in a little bit. There's others of you that may be having some trouble I want you to know that Jesus is the answer come into alignment with him today come on keep talking to the Lord give him those areas of your life you're in the presence of your king today you've gathered together to worship him with your church family with the body of Christ we speak Jesus over your marriage we sing Jesus over the children, we sing Jesus over our family, over our education, over our future. Because in him, all things hold together. Come on.
0: Jesus. Jesus. Come
3: on, give it to Jesus today. Those areas of your life. Come on, if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost this morning, this afternoon, if you speak in tongues, let's lift up our voices in this place. Come on. We're going to push through today. We're going to push through and worship. We're going to get a hold of Jesus. Some of you guys need to come to this altar right now and say, Jesus, if you don't meet me here, I feel like my life is going to fall apart. Come on, meet Jesus here today. Don't let this moment pass you by. He's here to be with you. Come on, let's speak in tongues today. God, I speak breakthrough in this place today. Breakthrough in finances, breakthrough in marriage problems. Come on, I speak breakthrough over our families being saved. Shoto robo bo kira bababasi terrebebe ko kira bababasi terrebebe soto robo bo kira bababasi. Come on, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit here. We want God to show up in power. We've come to experience God this morning. You need to come expecting a miracle every time you're with your church family. Every time you come into this room to meet with God, to worship him, you come expecting God to move in your your circumstances and in your situation. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we want the gifts to flow in this room today. We want to hear you speak to us. We're going to open up this time for the gifts to flow. If anybody feels like they have a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, come on, let it come forth. we have to respond church when the Lord speaks we have to respond some of you guys need to start repenting these altars are open some of you guys got to run up here come on if you know you need Jesus to touch you if you know you've been holding back your miracle or you've been pushing back and not allowing God to heal you today is your day for healing come to the healer Come to the healer of your broken heart. He is here to touch you. He is here to set you free. He is here to move in your circumstances. Come on. Come on, let's sing Jesus. Come on. We're not in a hurry this afternoon. God wants to move in your situation today. Things will change now. Now they change. Show we thank you for healing in this place we thank you God that broken walls in our hearts get to be restored that you mend the brokenness in our life oh God we thank you Jesus that we can come and receive your mercy your healing your miraculous power in our life Woo! come on give him praise church we're not done let's clap our hands in this place just give him a, a thanksgiving of praise come on come on come on go after Jesus worship him come on Hallelujah, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy to be praised, oh God. Hallelujah. We give you glory and honor and praise. Let's close out and sing, Jesus, be the center of it all. If you're up here, you can keep singing up here. Jesus, be the center of our life. We come into alignment with your will, oh God, and we say, Jesus, have it all. Let everything we live for revolve around you God From beginning to the end, it will It's always be, been about you It will, be always, will you, always be about Jesus. you Jesus Come on, Jesus.
0: Come on again. Jesus at the center of it all Jesus said the same to us
3: Just the voices. Let's sing that again. Just the voices. Come on. Lift up your voices. Jesus
0: at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Say his name. Jesus. 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 Jesus.
3: Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you today. We thank you, God, that you show up and show off in our circumstances. And you, there is power. And you, there is victory. In you, we have our healing. In you, there is salvation and hope for tomorrow. And we want to say, Jesus, we love you today. And we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy in our life. We love you today. Have your way in us and through us. Have your way today as we hear the gospel message going forth, forward. And we, you will, we allow you to touch our hearts, God. Do a new thing. Do a new thing in us today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo, God is good. Woo. You guys could touch your neighbor. Why don't you shake their hand? Let them know you're happy they're here. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International this morning. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the Apostolic Elders here. We want to welcome you on behalf of all the leaders. Thank you for joining us as we worship the Lord together every week. I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. This message is for those of you who once lived for God and have turned away. You've backslid. You surrendered your life to the Lord at one time and then you're like, well, it's not working for me. I'm going to do my own thing and it's led you down a path of destruction and sin, or you've never really lived for God, I want you to hear the words of King David. This is King David. He was known to have a heart after God, and this is during a great time of sin in his life, and he was coming back to Jesus, repenting, saying, God, don't leave me. In Psalm chapter 51, verses 10 through 12, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You could hear his heart's cry. You could hear the urgency in his prayer saying, God, don't leave me. I messed up, but create a pure heart in me so that I could walk right before you. Give me a willing spirit so that I can keep going, so that your, your your hand will keep me strong, so that it sustains me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, God. I need you. I'm sorry. And many times when people sin against God, they don't come like that. They think it's no big deal, that they could keep on sinning and just every night say a prayer forgive me, Jesus, and wake up tomorrow and do the same thing. But that is not the life God has called us to. He came to save us and to set us free and to give us a life abundantly on this this earth for us to live for him. And so today, if you're not right with God, I pray that this is your heart's cry, that you cry out to God and say, give me a pure heart. Forgive me, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I need you to restore to me the joy that I had when I was living right with you. Because I tell you, friends, one day with Jesus, living for God in all of its troubles, is more worth it than living a thousand good days without Him. It does not compare. You need the peace of Jesus in your life. You need his righteousness. You need his joy. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I want to give you an opportunity to get right with God today and come back to him and say, God, I'm going to surrender again. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to trust you. I want to live for you. I'm going to repent of my sin. So I'm going to pray right now. And I just want you to come into agreement as I pray. Let this be your heart's cry and come back to Jesus and get right today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel message of salvation. We thank you that you came and died on the cross and made it possible for us, through the shedding of your blood, for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be washed white, clean like snow, and to have a relationship with you again, restored to fullness. God, we repent of our sin, and we come back to you today. I ask that those who are not right with you will get right today. They will not let this moment pass them by because tomorrow is not promised to us. Lord, we thank you that when we come, you hear us and you forgive us every time. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Give us a willing spirit to sustain us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today for his word. You guys can stand up to your feet. We're going to have prayer workers up here at the front in just a few moments when we dismiss for fellowship and we're all hanging out. I want you guys to take some time to come and receive prayer. If this message was for you, to get prayer and find out how to get plugged into the church, get discipled. If you guys have been coming around for a little bit or you, you were at one point, you just came back, I want you to not leave this place today without finding a leader to do one on one with you find out how to get plugged into discipleship it's going to change your life be a disciple for jesus be accountable amen we're here to walk through this journey and encourage you along the way to know that god has a plan for you and a purpose and you're not alone we're going to recite our confession of faith today again we do this every week because this is our christian worldview so let's recite it on the count of three one two three i believe in one god and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind, is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, Jesus. Spend some time hanging out. Give somebody a hug or a handshake. All right, who's excited they came to church today Woo-hoo! welcome to Metro praise we're so excited that you guys are here thank you for coming our services are on Sunday are uh, every week at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. this is our family service so we have Kings kids in the back for our children and then every Friday we have elevate at 7 p.m. so if you know any teenagers students 11 to 18 years old they meet here every Friday you got to be here on Friday if you're in that age group And if you know anybody in that age group, invite them to be here. We have awesome youth pastors and youth leaders really pouring in to these young people so they could win their high schools for the Lord. We wanna let you guys know about our Christmas talent show service. We're gonna be celebrating Christmas and displaying all of our talents on the Sunday of December 18th for both services. So our King's kids will have a special performance as well with the songs that they will be singing. And some of the people who decided to audition They will be, um, you know, showing their talents off for the Lord, giving him glory. So it's going to be an awesome time. We want you guys to invite your friends and your family, any neighbors that, you know, that you're close to or not close to, you can still invite them, and anybody else. We really want to make this a special time. And, of course, Christmas this year is actually on a Sunday. We will still be having church, but we will be having one service, the 10 a.m. service. So mark that in your calendar so we could all be together celebrating this. December 18th, two services, and then on Christmas Day, coming together for that one 10 o'clock service. It's going to be an awesome uh, month together. Amen? All right. Metro Praise has a vision, a strategy, and our goal. Our vision here is loving God and loving people, and we strive to do that with everything inside of us, with all of our heart. And our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and then to send you out. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups, Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to keep preaching the gospel to the lost around you. And our goal by doing that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Look to your neighbor say, let's do it. Come on, let's get connected. How many of you guys want to know how to get connected? Come on, turn your hand out around. You'll see the schedule of uh, life groups that we have for this quarter all the way to the end of the year. Pick one. Find one that uh, meets the needs of you and your family and commit to it. Be faithful to that, and you will grow so much and be encouraged in your walk with the Lord. Here's a snapshot of life groups that we have this week, busy week. It's So much stuff going on. Kicking off today is our single mom's life group. They're going to have a Thanksgiving potluck dinner, so if you're a single mom, you do not want to miss today it's going to be such an amazing time of fellowship awesome women of god are there that are encur- going to encourage you to keep living for god encouraging you as a mom so come on out and have fun with them today at 5 30. child care is always provided they're going to have a beautiful spread here and it's going to be so much fun tuesday and uh, they encounter prayer night powerful time in god's presence all ages are welcome meet here at seven o'clock wednesday king's kids life group Infants to 11 years old, 6:30 here at the church. Thursday, gang outreach, hit in the streets, uh, streets preaching the gospel. Friday, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas, the other one at the Vivid's house. 18 years and up, pick one of those addresses, show up at seven. It will bless your life. And then Saturday, the Ambassadors, 11 to 18. That's our Elevate Life Group. One o'clock here at the church. They're doing awesome things. Look to neighbors, say get mentored. Come on. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. This is done one-on-one. So we want to encourage you, pick a leader that you want to share life with and let them teach you how to live for God and accomplish his plans for your life. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader so you could be ordained as a deacon or an elder one day and fulfill God's purpose on your life through the church and, and be a leader everywhere you go. That we want to send you out somebody say send we want to send you out to do evangelism preaching the gospel on the streets every saturday from 5 to 8 they go street witnessing uh telling people that jesus saves that he is the only way to heaven and it is our mandate jesus told us uh in matthew 28 through the great commission that we have to go and make disciples of all the nations and if we don't go and tell people how are they going to hear how are they going to know so it's our responsibility as believers to go and tell them. So if you've never been street witnessing, I really want to encourage you to do that because it will really bless your life. So to recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal, vision of loving God and loving people, strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Look to your neighbor say, let's do it. Come on. Who's excited to give their tithes and offerings today? Come on. We're going to get into the giving lesson in just a moment. MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. Anything that comes after the tithe is an amount between you and the Lord that's given as an offering, and all that's required of that is that you give with a cheerful heart, with a generous heart. So let's get into the lesson today. Section four is all about overcoming hindrances, and today's lesson six, overcoming bitterness. How many of you guys know that bitterness is nasty? It's such a nasty thing, and you do not want it to fester in your life. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. So if you have the hindrance of bitterness in your life, it will hinder you from fulfilling God's purpose in this earth. And so you want to get rid of that so that you can uh, continue to live for him and that he could use you. So in James chapter 3, verse 14, it says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Let's read the three main points to find out what that means. Number one, bitter envy. Bitter envy can come into a person's heart when they think God has been unfair to them by blessing others. Bitterness refers to being angry, and envy relates to jealousy. Don't allow that in your life, not for a moment. And if it ever creeps up, you want to repent immediately because you don't want those things to take root in your life. Anger and jealousy... Uh, will keep you and God will keep you from experiencing God's blessing so when you see other people being blessed thank God that they're being blessed and know and then you can say God if you've blessed them you could bless me too and do your part to be a, in alignment with God's word so that he could r- release his blessings in your life because when you're sowing good stuff you're going to reap it you can't get away away from that so if you're sowing good you're going to reap good in your life number two selfish ambition nothing we do or desire outside of God's plan for our lives comes, I'm sorry, anything we do. Let me read from the beginning. Number two, selfish ambition. Anything we do or desire outside of God's plan for our lives comes from pride, and it appears in selfish ambition. Selfishness refers to being self-centered instead of being God-centered, and ambition is our wants and desires. So just like we were singing and worshiping Jesus be the center of it all, that needs to be lived out in your life daily, where it's not just focusing on you and what you want and making God your little genie in the bottle. You want to make sure that you're living your life in obedience to his commands, being faithful in every area of your life so that you can see God's hand move. And so you don't want to be self-centered, you want to be God-centered and Bring everything that you desire into his will and let him lead you and guide you. And number three, don't harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition. Make a decision to not allow bitter envy or selfish ambition to dwell in your heart. And if you struggle with that, it should be a daily thing that you're laying at the Lord's feet and having him cleanse you. In summary, avoid bitterness by being Christ-centered and believing God will provide for you. So here's three ways you could apply this lesson to your life. Number one, Be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have allowed bitterness to come into your heart and bring envy or selfish ambition, Hebrews 12, 14. And number three, ask God to remind you of his precious promises for your life. And when he reminds you of them, make sure you speak them out because when you declare things, you will see them come to pass. Here's a confession that we can recite over our life. Let's do that on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. If you guys are excited to give today, let's stand up to our feet together and prepare to give the Lord our best today. Again, a tie is 10% of our total income. Offering is anything above that that you want to give today towards missions and towards the building fund. Just put the exact amount in the envelope, and we'll make sure it gets allocated to the proper place. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. Pastor Jerry will be available for that today. Number four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. And I just want to take our attention to the display. Have you guys seen the new book display with the T-shirts and the hats? I really want to encourage you, buy something today, maybe a new baseball cap or those those beanies. Buy one as a gift for somebody. Buy maybe a 101 book or date like a Christian book for somebody for Christmas. So Jerry will be there available for you guys to just swipe the debit card. Very easy. Uh, We just want to bless you guys with those gifts. And we don't, you know, it's not for us to make money. We just want to bless you, you know, pay the cost of it and just know that Chicago belongs to Jesus. So a lot of Chicago for Jesus stuff out there to, um, to sport, show it off. Amen. Let's recite this together. Philippians 419. And my God, all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you're so faithful. We thank you, God, that you provide, that your promises for us are yes and amen. And we today, as your people, we get rid of bitterness and envy and jealousy and anger in our heart. And we say, God, have your way in us. We thank you for blessing our neighbor. Keep blessing them. Prosper them, oh God. And as you bless them, God, we know that our time is going to come. As we continue to be faithful to sow the seed, I know that if I do not give up, I will reap a harvest. In Jesus' name, I pray you bless your people today, provide for their needs, open doors of employment, give them raises and promotions and uh, increase over their life, God, as we put you first and are faithful to you. We know that your goodness and your mercy and your favor shall follow us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give today. and We thank you so much for your generosity.
4: How many are thankful today? Make some noise. Woo! Are you thankful? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? How many of you have, like, some cool family and friends you hung out with? How many of you have crazy friends and family you hung out with? (laughs) I am probably split right down the middle between crazy and cool. I'm not going to tell you who they are or what side of the family they are on, but uh, I definitely have some crazy friends and family I saw. And uh, you know what I love about Thanksgiving is that you can enjoy your time together with people and use it as a bridge to preach the gospel, to tell them what it means to be thankful because this actually is an American holiday based out of Christians being thankful. Now, I know a lot of you think about the uh, the pilgrims and all of that, but that's not really the, f- the full story there. Uh, there was thankfulness with people coming coming to America in the 1600s but where as we know Thanksgiving to be really came about during the time of the foundation of America after the 1700s and the establishment of our country and then into the early 1800s the freeing of the slaves and with Abraham Lincoln and so if you go to uh, my website there at metropraisechurch.org mpichurch.org you will be able to look up Thanksgiving and hear the declarations of George Washington Thanksgiving address and uh, Abraham Lincoln and you'll see what what really it was, was a time to say you are thankful to God, and they would actually incorporate it with times of repentance and times of fasting, and you know, we get our American word, break fast, breakfast, uh, from that idea of when you fast, and you break fast, and so you obviously, you you don't eat when you sleep, so you wake up, you break fast, but uh, what they would do is they would fast and pray, then they would say what they were thankful for, so what I would like to do is have just a few of you come up and share what you guys are thankful for for and I don't want anybody to be shy because otherwise you'll be looking at me and it will be awkward but I want a few of you to come up and to stand up here and to say what you're thankful for. Come on. You're going to have to do it or I'm not going to preach. Come on. Just line up here a few of you quickly. Let's get about three to five. Thank you, Augustine, for being the first.
1: I just want to say that I'm very thankful what God has done in my life, his grace, his uh, constant forgiveness and mercy and love. I'm also thankful that he provided for me a wife. Uh, I'm thankful that I have a sister that's saved and my family, I'm still praying for them. Uh, I'm also thankful for my friends and I'm thankful for even the things we don't notice like my health, my eyesight, my legs, my arms. You said one, one thing, right? No, you can anything. Okay. Anything. All right, okay. Friends, okay, on. amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, my marriage. You know, I, I'm young, I'm 20, and uh, just the fact that I can, you know, experience the fact that marriage is not something that, you know, it could be like when you're 30 or 40, you know. And just that I'm young, I'm experiencing how awesome marriage has blessed me, you know, being able to serve my wife and then utilizing that to be, you know, being a servant of the church. Like, it's, it's so many valuable things I'm learning in marriage, you know, and God's just pouring out his love. And showing me how to love more it's just it's awesome you know it's an encouraging thing and i love it so that's one thing i'm thankful for right now my marriage and also i'm thankful for the fact that god has blessed us with a a child who will soon be born in march amen (laughs) so uh yeah that's all i can say amen amen i'm thankful
5: i'm thankful for um for god just uh being able to pour his love into me and into my family um, just this Thanksgiving, I've seen how over the years as I've came to Christ, um, just the tradition kind of has changed. Um, before, it used to be a time of gathering, and we used to get into just drinking so much and just really not enjoy, you know, and be thankful for many things. It was more like a big party. But as the time as time has gone by and as I've drawn closer to God, uh, I've been able to just that tradition is no longer anymore. Like, we just enjoy each other's presence and love and and just, you know, the the way that the family is growing, I'm just thankful for uh, the way that he's been moving in my life. I am thankful for God's protection over my family. And uh, um, overall, I I think I'm thankful for all the hardships and all the difficult times that, that we've encountered recently because those difficult times have answered my prayers, oddly enough, you know. And at first, I was like, I don't, you know, like, God, I'm asking for this and all these difficult things are happening. But those difficult things have brought us together, my family, and they've strengthened our path with God. So I'm just especially thankful for all those difficult times because they have gotten me to where I am right now. And so that's what I'm thankful for. Okay, I'm thankful for the time I did in prison. Um, it real God saved my life and he rescued me when I was in prison. So I'm thankful for that time. And I'm thankful that ever since I got out two years and four months ago, God has kept me, God has blessed me, and God has restored me. Um, I'm thankful for my husband. He's the husband that I prayed for, that I waited for seven years, um, having faith and trusting God um, and staying strong in the Lord. I thank God for MPI. God brought me and my husband to this church. I'm thankful for Pastor Joe and his wife, Pastor Nancy. I'm thankful for Ricky, Rachel, and um, Jerry, Pastor Tony, and everybody that has, you know, like, poured into us and has, like, helped us in our walk with the Lord and that has just loved on us. I'm thankful for... For just everything, and even though this Thanksgiving I was, we weren't able to be with our families. We were able to be with our church families and friends, and it was just a blessing, and it was awesome, and we're, I'm just so grateful and thankful.
6: <laughs> um, uh, my f- my family, I'm thankful for um, for all the support that this church has given us. Um, Jim, um, you prayed for Jim. Jim is r- still in the hospital recovering, and um, the the operation is uh, successful, right? O- although there are a little bit of some um, struggles, but um, um, it's, he's alive, good, right? Um, so, and also, right, uh, we're, I'm very, very thankful for, I have four kids, everybody has, we, we've struggled when we came here however every time you make decisions sometimes good or bad but however when we call out to god right he's always there very faithful right so whatever decisions we make right god is always faithful sometimes we may not be faithful to him but he's always there when we call out to him he is our rock and our refuge and um, he's, um, he's He never failed us, right? Sometimes in my bedroom, when I cry out to him, I can always feel his presence. Sometimes you cannot feel him, right? Or sometimes when I say, I cannot feel him, however, I know that he's always been faithful. And it's like, when I look at the history, It's always there. He's always been faithful. And I know from here, looking back, right, I cannot be here right now and say, right, that, okay, God is, like, not faithful because he's always been faithful, right? So that's always, and he will always put people in your life, so it will always be there, right? If you cannot, right, like, put you know, fi- feel his physical presence. He will put people in there to show that he is always there for you. So I'm. That's the yeah. So that's the part, that's the Thanksgiving, right? We take. You know, he will put these events, right, like, to say this these words. However, we can we always thank him every day, every second of our life, right? Even though we're not, you know, saying them, but however, in our thoughts, you know, uh, it's always there, we're always grateful for him, right? So that's being Christian. So. Uh that's when I became Christian, it's always this this consciousness there that it's it's like God right okay, I love you right sometimes I cry of the like the intimateness of that love with him so thanks uh, that's the that's that's the gratefulness that I have it's like this intimateness of you know relationship with him so okay and thank you right thank you for the support right I've been messaging it's like thank you right for the prayers yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I have a lot to be grateful for because um, about a year ago I literally had nothing and I'm grateful I got a roof over my head now. I'm grateful I'm back in school. I'm starting a job this week. Um, Just for every little thing I have, like every blessing means a whole lot to me. I have a phone and um, I mean I spent Thanksgiving with not my real family but with a family that was nice enough to take me in and um, I'm grateful that my dad, um, his surgery went well, and he's recovering. And um, just that you guys have taken me in, and it means a whole lot to me.
6: I'm thankful for this church, which I met uh, two months ago, and I'm very glad I'm here. I'm glad because you're cool. And um, <laughs> I'm thankful for God. Iris is my mentor, and she's really pushing me, really, really helping me out with this. Stuff. I'm grateful for my godparent, my girl, mica She came, and she's helping me. I'm being happy because I was very, very lonely, you know, by myself. But with her by my side, I'm doing great. And for this whole church, Jerry and everybody, I really, really, really can't wait to try to be a Deacon. I'm not sure, but I'm going to try. <laughs> try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So I'm thankful for everything. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Ooh, yeah.
7: I'm always thankful. But uh, I have an awesome husband and um (laughs) and baby boy so i'm thankful for my family and my extended family and my church family and um this year i lost my brother to cancer and i'm so thankful i had 36 awesome years i'm thankful for his 46 years on this earth and i'm also very thankful i got to be there before he passed to say goodbye And um, as a family, we all got to be together, and that was just a God thing. And I'm thankful that he got right with the Lord, and he's with Jesus, so I will see him again. And um, I'm just thankful for the joy of salvation.
4: Let's give it up for Jesus, amen? We're all thankful. Praise God. Woo! That's what's up. Today's message is on the Gospel of John. We're going through the seven signs of John. If you haven't been with us before, if it's your first time or maybe haven't been around for a little bit, it's a series that we've decided to undertake to go through the book of John as he wrote it in seven different signs. And actually the last sign will be the last Sunday of the year. And the last Sunday of the year is Christmas. And that last sign will be on Lazarus. And just get the message already in your heart right now. A dead thing coming back to life brand new. How many of you want to end a year and start a year the way God wants you to do it? End it the right way and start it the right way. This is going to be a great time to be a part of the church. So December is going to be amazing. All of our things are on Facebook, past messages. Today's notes are on Facebook as well as our website. Share the messages. We're live now. Let people know who may be getting sick, sadly, during this time. There's some viruses that go around, weather changing. Let them know we're always live for both services. And let us continue to do our homework to read the Bible as I preach the Bible. So today I'm talking about John chapter 6. How many have read John 6? I know you guys have. That's awesome. Let's give it up for those who read their Bible. Come on. And next week, the sign is still going to be in the chapter of uh, of John chapter 6. So if you've already read it, you're ahead, reread it. If you haven't, read John chapter 6. Today is on Always Enough. Everybody say Always Enough. Enough. Thank you. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 1. Talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is a popular story. Most of you have probably heard of it. But I hope that we all can be challenged and encouraged by it today and learn some new nuggies, get some good nuggets out of it. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. What did they see? They saw the... Come on, what did they see? The signs. Now look at where we're at. John chapter 6 is where we're at. So the messages we've been going through are the signs that they had been seeing. They saw prior Jesus churning the water into wine. They had heard about or had saw Jesus healing the royal official's son. That was in John chapter 4. And the same thing is about the healing of the paralytic. So they're either seeing it or hearing about it, and these signs are causing Jesus to have a great big crowd following him. And so they go to Jesus, and then what happens right here is Jesus goes up to a mountainside and sits down and begins to uh, teach his disciples. Now he sat down with his what? What do they call that in the Bible? His disciples. Did he sit down with church members? Did he sit down with uh, three people in three-piece suits, fancy people? Did he sit down with rich people, poor people? Who does he sit down with? Disciples. Ask your neighbor sitting next to you, who am I sitting next to? Ask him right now, who are you? Are you a disciple? That's the question we want to know. How many of you sat at a table this week Thanksgiving and there was some disciples there? How many of you sat at a table and there wasn't a lot of disciples there? Well, if you were a disciple and there wasn't a lot of disciples there, that's an opportunity for you to get to work and make some disciples. So this is how Jesus normally went about teaching. Let me just pause here for you guys to understand this. Jesus is not here just as a genie to perform uh, signs like a uh, David Copperfield. Jesus is here to teach about the kingdom. So if you were ever wondering to yourself, how in the world did it get to be there's 5,000 men out here where we're going to get to understand there's women and children as well. How did all these thousands of people get to be out here and get hungry? Well, what was happening was they were following Jesus, not just for the signs, But for his teachings. And so that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who listens and obeys their master. And that's what we need to do for Jesus. Now, verse 4 tells us when it happened. It was during uh, the Jewish Passover, it was right around that time the Jewish Passover was near next uh, set of verses we see, Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And probably what had happened was they could only sit down for so long and they were now getting hungry and they started getting up going to the teacher. It would literally be as if right now I start talking and don't stop stop until around midnight. At some point you're going to walk towards me and say like, hey, do you have any food here for us or anything? If, if you haven't walked, out and gone out the door okay so we're already seeing some dedication that these people have been with him morning noon and night and so he sees the large crowd coming now watch what he does i love jesus and and um Catherine had mentioned this, that sometimes our tests are brought about by God to bring a testimony. Sometimes the battles are set forth by the Lord so that we can become a conqueror and have a victory in Christ. And so here we see the crowds coming towards him, and he looks to Philip, his disciple, and he's like, where are we going to buy something for these people to eat? Now imagine if you're Philip, what are you thinking to yourself? This is impossible. This cannot happen. This cannot happen. Now, my mother-in-law, who's Greek and cooks for about 100 people just at any given time, she might be able to handle this problem. But Philip, he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I mean this in all seriousness. You tell my Greek mother-in-law, like this Thanksgiving, you're going to have 15 people over. She cooks for 50. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. We are taking trucks, lo- truckloads of, of leftovers home. So it's almost like, you know, there's some people you got to tell them to be at 3 when the event starts at 5. For, I think for my mother-in-law, I got to tell her, you know, there's only like five people coming, so then she'll cook for 15. Are you getting what I'm saying? But but Philip here, he didn't have that gift of a Greek mother-in-law to make it happen. And really, in this sense, who could really cook for this amount of people that fast? Because look at what he says back in verse 6. Uh, well, verse 6 says, rather, Jesus asked him this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, look what Philip answered. He said, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy a Enough bread for each one to just have a bite. Now, just put that today in our vernacular. This is really easy to understand. Average income in America is around fifty thousand. What Philip is saying is, if I had twenty-five thousand dollars, Jesus, I could be- probably barely give them a bite. Let's keep going. Verse eight. Another one of his disciples, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and says, "Hey, we have a boy here with five <laughs> small barley loaves and two small fishes." But how far will this go among so many? So he's like, I got something, Jesus, but I don't know if this is going to do anything. Now Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down, about 5,000 men. And this is where we're going to learn from the other Gospels that there were women and children there in just a little bit. But this is John telling the story. So he says, sit down. There's about 5,000 men there with their wives and children. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks. Somebody say he blessed it. That's why we pray for all of our food before we eat it, not just that it will multiply. That would be cool if that happened, but we always bless and thank the Lord for it. And then he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted of the bread, and the same he did with the fish. Now, let me just ask you this, because this is really cool that we're talking about this on Thanksgiving weekend. never was meant to correlate. It was just a Holy Ghost dink. Isn't this cool? Because now I can ask you guys, how many of you this weekend literally ate as much as as you wanted, like you were just eating as much as you wanted. My wife and I, we had bought a pecan pie and we were going to bring it to somebody's house. By Wednesday that bad boy was already open. I was getting with it. I was putting whipped cream on it. I was eating it. I almost ate the whole entire thing. There's just a little bit left right now. So literally, I took this Thanksgiving holiday, and I'm like, I'm going to eat as much pecan pie as I want. Does anybody else like pecan pie? That's like my favorite pie. And and so the same thing is I was sitting down with people, you know, during the time um, we were with our family. It happened to be a Friday because my brother-in-law is a police officer. He was serving, you know, our city uh, on Thanksgiving, so we made it for Friday. And you could just see, you know, the Greek feast is there. And, and and my sister-in-law, she's obviously Greek, but she married into a Latino family. So you got the Greek feast, the Latino feast. How many just love that cross-cultural food and just love to eat, you know? And it's just, there's so much food. And, and there's, it's like literally, if you said to me, Do you want to eat something else? I would say no. And if you said, what if I paid you $500 to put another piece of pecan pie in your belly? I would tell you I cannot do it without puking. Like I I will get sick. And I know we need to know better than that. How many need to know better than that? We need to stop eating until we get sick. But some of us, we don't learn our lessons. But here's the thing I want you all to get here is on their own, $25,000 wouldn't even have got everybody a bite. Jesus had enough for everybody to eat their full. And you've got to understand, there had to be some college-age students there as well. And they're full. obviously, it's going to be like twice, three times as much as average people. I used to eat like that when I was younger. And then all of a sudden, it all started coming out here, and I realized I can't eat like these young guys. And let me tell you what it's like, because I have Bible college students at my house all the time. And and when I was a young guy, just a few years older than the students that I was helping mentor, it was cool. It was like we'd get the pizzas, we'd run out of pizzas, be like, man, help yourself to the fridge. Because like once it's gone, it's gone, it's no big deal. But now, Now I'm a family man. I have these guys over from the Bible college, and then they eat all the pizzas, and then they start heading to the refrigerator, drinking the kids' milk, eating all of our stuff, eating the cereal. And I'm like, listen, y'all got to stop this. You are going to eat me literally out of house and home. And now I get all these flashbacks to when I was in people's houses about that age. And the people would say back to me, Joe, I know you're like family. We love you. But you got to stop eating here. You know, And I'm dead serious. I had one of my family friend's mom actually take me to a refrigerator. She's like, this is our food. I will share some of it with you. But you cannot eat all of this. She literally had to sit me down and tell me this. And then she told me, you can have one glass of milk when you're here. You can have one cookie, something like that, Okay. But here's the point. These people ate as much as they wanted. Jesus wasn't being cheap. And look at verse 12 now. When they had all had enough to eat, they were full. They had enough to eat. He said, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. There's even leftover. Let nothing be wasted. How much was left over? Look at this. So they gathered them and filled 12 pieces. Baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Isn't that awesome? There was not only more than enough for them to eat, but leftovers. After this, now watch. This is what God does through this miracle. People see a sign. Now look at what happens in their hearts. The people saw the sign Jesus performed, and they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And now we get this whole picture here That there's a a need to be met, Jesus meets the needs, and it's miraculous. So let's look at the the introduction, and then we'll draw out this picture a little bit more. But just like the disciples in the story of this feeding of the 5,000, we often find ourselves overwhelmed and unable to do what God wants us to do. So this is why I believe John is telling us this story, so that we will believe in Jesus as our Messiah, like how they saw Jesus do the miracle. We will see a miracle in our own lives, looking to this as an example And so what are the things that God is asking you to do that may seem unattainable, overwhelming, something that you can't do on your own? Well, let's just start with some of the basics. The moment you get saved and God now says, stop sinning, how many know that becomes quite impossible unless you have God's help? Like, I'm going to stop sinning. Now, some of you may say, well, stop sinning. That's pretty easy, you know. Well, the first things you're just going to mark off is like, well, I won't murder anybody. I won't steal from my job. You know, I won't just, well, hold on. Do you know that there's a command in the Bible to forgive all of your enemies? How many think that comes easy? That's almost impossible because I know some of you want to talk to Jesus and be like, "Uh, Jesus, you don't know my enemies. You don't know how bad they've been to me. But Jesus says, no, I still want you to do that. And I want everybody to get this. As big as the problem was for them to try to feed 5,000 people plus all the women and children, as big as that would be, it is actually harder to live free from sin than it is to feed those 20,000 people. See, think about that. To live free from sin is impossible without God. What's another thing that's literally impossible without God? How about this? A happy marriage? A happy marriage that lasts years? Do you think every couple that stands before me as a pastor or stands before uh, God and people and makes their vows, do you think they intend on getting a divorce? Are they stupid? Why do they do it then if they're going to get a divorce? They're not dumb, right? Everybody comes to that day with the best intentions, the best hopes. But what do they find out over time? It's impossible unless you have God in the middle of it because he promised what I joined together, no one can tear apart. Now, I know we may know of some stories where people don't love God and they have a marriage. But those are uh, marriages that last, but that's very rare. And then I would go as far as to say no one has a God kind of marriage without God in the midst of it. So it's not just putting up with each other, tolerating each other. It's appreciating and love each other as God has made you. That sounds pretty intimidating without the Lord, doesn't it? For me to love my wife as myself all the days of my life, to lay my life down for her, to prefer her over myself, to not uh, become bitter at her and the mistakes that we make to each other, to forgive all throughout marriage, that's a God thing. And then moving on now to another thing that's impossible without God in the middle. Literally a bigger, I would rather Jesus say to me, feed 20,000 people with five, five loaves and two fishes than for for me to try to raise my kids in this environment and culture to be godly without his help. Are you listening? Does that make sense to you? Think of how impossible that is. Everything in the media, everything out there on the streets, infiltrating their mind and their conscience. It is literally like we as parents, and I have five children. It's literally like it's that old, uh, you know, cartoon where there's like a big dam right here, and the water starts to come out of one place here, and you put your finger there to stop it. This is how I feel as a parent. You know, well, okay, I got to shut down YouTube now because they're starting to find stuff on that that's nasty. Oh, but then all of a sudden it comes out over here. Oh, I got to watch what they're watching on Netflix. Oh. Oh, but what about my neighbor across the street? They're a lesbian couple. I gotta explain that to. Oh, what about this people over here at the park? You know, they wanted to start a fight with them. And you start to realize you can't stop the damn of this culture when it comes to your children. It's impossible. You have to have God on your side. So many times we find ourselves in these places, and God has purposely put us there. Purposely put us there. Not to cause us pain, but to grow our faith. God wants us to trust Him. And to obey him. And so he's not going to ask us to do anything that he will not first empower us to do. He will empower us to live free from sin. So, now if today you are a Christian, you are empowered to live free from every single sin. As a matter of fact, you were taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That is a real prayer with real answers that you can see every day of your life when you're tempted. How many of you, let's just take a survey, since becoming a Christian, being tempted, you prayed something like that, and guess what? You didn't sin. God actually led you out of temptation. You were going to this website, gentlemen, to look at something you shouldn't have been looking at. Ladies, you were about ready to, you know, to max out that credit card because you were looking at something you shouldn't have been looking at. Coach purse, only $1,500. That's a steal. Amex, you know, Visa. I got it. Okay, so generally guys lust after girls and girls lust after purses and shoes. Sorry started, started to be stereotypical, stereotypical, if I can say that word. But now some guys are actually lusting after shoes. Jordans, right, lusting after this you know and i know girls can lust after guys i actually had one of my crazy extended family make fun of me a little bit it was kind of weird cuz i was talking about how i've lost weight and i got to watch what i eat and i was actually still doing my bike riding throughout the thanksgiving holiday and it wasn't because like i was so disciplined it was just like dear god if i don't do this this the ship is sinking so thanksgiving i rode my bike 30 miles yesterday etc so here's the deal i'm i'm sitting here talking to this family friend of a friend whatever she's at the table we're talking about the the weight i've lost i show were the 280 pound me and you know what she says back to me she says oh did, did your wife have a hard time loving you at that, at that size and I was like no I'm having a hard time loving you right now though but I, I, I didn't think of it like that and then, and then, and then she goes oh that's probably because uh, she knew she would have less competition with the ladies because nobody wants that like she literally she literally said that to me And I guess I was supposed to feel all right with that because I'm not the 280 pound me anymore. But I was like, woman, you are harsh. And it's like I hadn't been around a woman so so mind uh, so man mindset in her like lust. Or I don't want to say lust, but like she thought like a man. You know what I'm saying? So yes, women can lust after guys, and guys can lust after shoes. But my typical example of us getting caught up in our sins is men lusting after women, women lusting after persons. I said all that just to say that. But the point is this: is that starting with sin, God gives us a way out. Moving to our marriage or to dating relationship, God gives us his word to live holy. With our parenting, God teaches us how to parent. So the question is, are we going to be the disciples that listen to Jesus, let him do the miracle? Or are we going to be the ones that quit, move on, and never see the miracle? Because if you got hungry, didn't want to wait around for Jesus to get to the miracle, you left, you wouldn't have seen the multiplication. You wouldn't have seen it happen. It was those who stuck around, who weren't there just for the carnival show, just for Jesus to always do miracles. They were actually there to listen to Jesus talk now. And Jesus did an amazing thing in their life. And so what we have to see is that God's glory, look at that last sentence, please. God's glory is seen in our lives when we admit our inability and put our faith and trust in him. Again, amen. 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 These are the signs of the book of John, something to look forward to. Uh, We've already discussed the first three there. We're talking about the 5,000 today. Uh, The next one for for next week will be on uh, Jesus walking on the water, and then we'll apply that at Lake Michigan. You guys want to give that a try? You know, just like see how your faith is. Just like see, can you walk a little bit, get at least a couple steps out there, half kid. But anyways, come back next week. We'll see how that applies to our life. Then we'll go to the healing of the blind man. This is an awesome story. And like I said, the last one of John's signs is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That will be December 25th. That day we'll announce next month for December, but I'll give you the little update. Now, we're only going to have one service on Christmas Day, okay? So I, I had to pick between the 1 or the 10 p.m. So I went uh, 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. I picked the 10 a.m. So we'll give you plenty of time to prepare for that. But th- we'll, we're just doing that so that everybody can come together as a one big family. I know a lot of people may be out of town as well, but we'll have one big Christmas service and we'll talk about Lazarus. Lazarus. And then look here at the end of John's book for some of you that are new and just kind of want to see how it all ties together. John ends his book telling us why he wrote about these seven signs. Now, in comparison, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the what gospels. What do we call those? Synoptic gospels. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. Did anybody else know that? Synoptic gospels, where we, now some people looking at you like, they hating on you. No, I'm just kidding. I ain't hating, I'm celebrating. But watch this. The synoptic gospels are named such because they are synonymous. And what are the three that are synonymous, similar? Matthew and Luke. There you go. They have many, many miracles there. I haven't counted them, but there's quite a bit. There's probably 50 miracles in their Gospels, and they're very similar in how they tell the stories. Remember John, he only picks out seven. And after Lazarus, there's no more miracles going on in the Gospel of John. Starting there in John chapter 12, all the way to the crucifixion of Jesus, it's just the teachings of Jesus. Has anybody noticed that as you've read the Gospel of John? You're like, wow, it kind of stops him walking around doing miracles, and it just starts showing what he's teaching about. And so here's what John said at the the end of the gospel, to help us tie it all together, John 20, 30, he said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So if you wanted to know those rest of the signs, he would say, go back and read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is written after those. And remember, John's gospel has 90% of new information. That means whenever you're reading something in John, nine times out of 10, it's not in any other gospel. But the unique thing about the feeding of the 5,000 It's one of the only stories that's in all four gospels. So it has to be very important. But look at verse 31. He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the what? The Messiah and the Son of God. And so when you have that belief, is it just a mental ascent? Oh, I believe it. I'm cool. Check my name off on the roster. I'm a Christian. No, it's that in believing you may have what in his name? Life in his name. How many want life in the name of Jesus? How many know there's a lot of people that believe in Jesus like they believe in Abraham Lincoln, but they don't have life? Because their belief is a mental ascent. It's a mental like I believe, like I believe in Abraham Lincoln. But that's not just what Jesus is looking for in us. He's looking for a relational belief, a relational commitment. See, I believe in my wife's love for me. That's why I married her. That's why we're committed to our family. So my belief in her love, my trust in her love causes all those actions, and that's what God wants us to have in our lives. How many want to get a breakdown of this passage? Come on, somebody say, break it down, Pastor. Here we go, let's break it down. Let's look at these verses and see what we can take away from it, and then we'll get to preaching a little bit. Well, the first thing is when we look at the, uh, the idea of how even people were following Jesus, it's because of the miracles. So aside from Jesus displaying the kingdom of God through the miracles, he actually uses the miracles to draw people to him. So let's think about this for a minute. What is Jesus showing us when he turns the water into wine? He is showing us that one day there's going to be a marriage supper where the church marries Jesus, we'll be the bride, he'll be the groom, and we will forever be in his presence and have the fullness of joy. And so think about all the fun we have here, even Thanksgiving and holidays, it always runs out. Think of weddings. The funnest thing you can be a part of a lot of times is weddings. The party runs out. So Jesus is at a party, the wine runs out. And how it goes in life, things don't last forever. But Jesus shows us in that wedding bam! I keep the party going. One day the party will never stop. Here's the psalm In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures. For how long? forevermore the bible says and so now he he does that sign you get the atten- he gets your attention but then he teaches you after the sign so it's not just for the sign it's the sign and the teaching it's not the sign by itself and you could go through each one of these signs and see what's going on well if you were a part of jesus's um crowd at that time or had seen those things would you stop what you were doing and come listen to him teach so let's say you were at the wedding, you see the wine get multiplied, you're really having a good time, would you be like, I want to hear what that guy has to say? Let's say you were at the one with the pool at Bethesda, the, one that, the man was paralytic, 38 years. This is the guy you went to school with, this is the family you live by, you know this person's been crippled for 38 years, you know how hard it's been on their family, and now you see him leaping and jumping for joy. Would you follow Jesus to hear what he says? And so that's why Jesus had these large crowds, as I was saying before. They were coming for the teachings because Jesus wanted you to know more about what he had to say than just what he had to do. And this is where you can, you got to think about it because sometimes in our culture we don't tie this together. A lot of times if I talk to people like I, I will yet, uh, tomorrow at Wright College, they'll say, well, if I saw the signs, if I saw what they did in the Bible, I would believe. How many have heard something like that? Like people will say that, well, if I saw Lazarus raised from the dead, I believe. I would believe but that's not true the jews saw lazarus raised from the dead and not only did they want to kill jesus for doing it they wanted to kill lazarus as well he may have raised you up but we're going to try to kill you again and what they end up doing for jesus throwing him a party or crucifying him so the sign by itself doesn't make you believe You have to see the sign, then listen to what he's saying to believe in who he is. So don't ever get it twisted if you're not seeing these kinds of signs in your life going, well, I don't know if I can really believe. Do you have Jesus' teachings? If you have the teachings of Jesus, you have something that's more valuable than even the sign. Now, if you can have both, how many like to have both? to see the signs of God, the dreams, the visions, the miracles, the prophetic words, the things that only God can do, and his teachings, that's what's up. But Jesus used those signs to get people to listen to him. Now ask yourself this question, would I spend the whole day with Jesus? Because that's then what we learn, is that the people were with him then the whole entire day. Now what I want to do today is just test this and say, let's go to 8 o'clock right now. You guys want to do it? And I'll just keep reading the Bible, talking about the Bible. Can you all make it to 8 Now, it gets quiet when I preach like this, and you're like, but you ain't Jesus, Pastor. You ain't Jesus. But here's the deal. I have Jesus' words. How long would it take for you to get born? Let's be honest. I don't think Jesus was a televangelist. As a matter of fact, the things about Jesus that people were attracted to aren't the things that we look at and a lot of religious people and are attracted to. Like for example a lot of people are attracted to the Pope because he has like this great title he leads this big organization, he dresses a certain way. Jesus had none of that. Jesus didn't lead a big organization he had no respect from the religious leaders, they didn't respect him as a matter of fact they didn't want anything to do with him and he didn't dress different than the common man. And so what we think would draw us to Jesus probably wouldn't draw us to Jesus. If you are bored in church here, you would have been bored with Jesus in church. I'm just being honest with you. Can I keep it real? If you don't like singing songs here, you won't like singing songs up there in heaven. Somehow we think that things will be different or would be different if I was with Jesus would be different in heaven. No. Even Satan in heaven could leave heaven and choose another place. Only those who go to heaven are there because they want to be there. It's a choice of their will that that is what their heart's desires. Have you ever thought about that? Why did Satan leave? If heaven will automatically change you and make a desire change in your heart, then why would Satan leave? Because heaven does not change desires. Heaven is a place for those desires that want to be there. Listen to the Lord's prayer again. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you don't want the kingdom of God to come from heaven to earth, why do you want to come from earth to heaven? Hello. If all you really love is what the world calls a sin, then that's why you'll go to hell. Jesus won't force you and kidnap you to heaven, nor can the devil force you and go to hell. It's a place of choice. And it was a place of choice. It's a pl- these lo- those are places of choice, destinations, heaven or hell. And to stay there with Jesus was choice. Now, I know many of you here would choose to be there, wouldn't you? You would say, this is amazing. You probably say what the others said. I've never heard such a a man teach like this before. These are really the words of life. And it would benefit you. It would bless you. And probably, like most of you who have come to church for a while, you you would discipline yourself. And you would say, you know what? I don't need to eat right now. I can wait. But for all of us, even at that point, how many know going a full day without eating, that would become a test by itself, right? Like, because I don't just get hungry. I get hangry. Anybody else get hangry? and then if I had my kids with me and then they're hangry and I'm hangry I'm going to want to beat them, they're going to want to beat me, you know what I'm saying? They're like Jesus ain't giving us no food dad and I'm like you just be quiet, you listen to Jesus well I don't want to hear this anymore and I start spanking them in front of Jesus, you know. I'm just being honest with you, it would be hard for me to keep them under control for that long so no matter how pious you would be and I, I would say like I'm like hungry for God, I would want to be there at a certain point I'm going to do what those people did, get up and start walking to Jesus and you can just kind of see like the crowd mentality what goes on because once somebody gets up and it's like man I'm going to go check this out see if he's got some food how many know y'all going to get up too you know and maybe you were you had heard about the wedding or had been at the wedding and you're thinking man he's going to do some miracles it's about ready to pop off in this place it's going to be a party let's all get close to Jesus now watch what happens here, though. Once again, now we've got to bring Philip into the story. Philip is asked to get them food. And this is what is very good for those who like to be deep into the Bible, scholarship, et cetera. What John does as the last gospel written, the most unique gospel, is he actually puts names to unknown people in the other synoptic stories. In the synoptic stories, we don't know who Jesus asked to get the food. But in John, he says, Philip. Now that may seem just like a little incont- inconsidential, in, what's that word? Con- consequential. I, con- inconsequential. Thank you. This is why you always have to pray for your pastor. I make it look easy sometimes, but that's what happens when it doesn't flow as quickly as it does. And here's, here's another problem. I read a lot, and I don't pronounce the words I'm reading, and I have that word right in my mind. I can actually spell it for you. But I have to pronounce it inconsequential. You may think to yourself that Philip being named in John is inconsequential. But it's not. It matters because what it shows us is that John knew who that disciple was that God asked. And the reason why Philip got asked is because Philip lived in that area. Why is that special? Because the Gospels are like a surround sound. They're never contradicting each other. They're always filling in the sound of Jesus. If we would take all the red letters of Jesus in the Bible and put it together, it would only add up to about two or three days of a man talking. And Jesus was a teacher, and he would have talked more than an average man. So it's like, say, 10,000 words of Jesus. Average man speaks a couple thousand words a day. But Jesus was doing ministry for three and a half years. So what these gospels are doing are summarizing a lot of material. And sometimes when they put these little hints in there, they're showing they're not contradicting each other. They're filling it in. And another place where John does that is when the uh, when Peter cuts off the man's ear, all the gospels just say was a man's ear. John names that man to tell you this is real history. This is not myth. These are not just fairy tales or stories that have good um, meaning behind them. These are historical narratives. So Philip gets asked, and we know at this point that it's a test that God is giving him. And Philip really responds the way all of us would, like, we couldn't do this, God, even if we had the money. Because think about it. Even if you had the $25,000 ready on hand and did it, how fast could you get the bread for that many people? That would take hours. So just walk yourself through this. Let's let's see what would happen in a best-case scenario if Philip does it. To compare it to what Jesus did. Okay, so Philip, for, for whatever reason, he says, Okay, Jesus, I got a plan. Let's do it. He starts going around collecting money from everybody. How long is it going to take for him to collect money? Probably a few hours. So let's say they've let's say they've been there from six in the morning till six at night. That's 12 hours. It's six o'clock. Jesus is testing them, and now they're all hungry. The people are all starting to get agitated. And now Philip starts raising money. Let's say it takes him two hours now. It's eight o'clock. Now, what does he do with all that money? He has to go to a town. Let's say he tells everybody, let's go to this town. Pizza's on me, right? So he's going there with everybody. How long is it going to take to get to town? Let's say it takes another two hours. Now it's around 10 o'clock at night. He goes to the town. He has the money. What baker can make that much bread at that point? What What is the baker probably going to say to him? Uh, come back next week and we'll have all this ready for you, right? And the same thing with the fishermen. Well, we got to go out and get you all of this fish. Are you watching this right here? So let's say at the worst case scenario, it takes a week for them to cater this. People have now died, right? Children have now died. This is a sad, sad story. At the best case scenario, people are baking 24-7. This thing is like a chain thing going on. I mean, it's just amazing. What, 24 hours? 48 hours now most of us say at this point well that would just be stupid oh i mean come on you're you're not going to do that but remember what i said at the beginning we face these insurmountable things and then it's even more insurmountable than trying to feed twenty thousand. and then what do we say oftentimes i got it god i'll take it over from here i got my family i got it I, i i watched the dr phil show on marriage we got it god Oh, God, you know, uh, you know. I've watched one of these PBS shows about how to tell your children about sex. Okay, I'll let them watch a sex ed show from PBS. I got it. And we try to tell God we got it, and it literally is as foolish as us trying to feed 20,000 people on our own. That's what this miracle is trying to show us is that when you try to take your life into your own hands, that's how foolish it is. So God brings you to that place where you'll say, man, I can't do this. I I don't even have enough money. We don't have enough time. Whatever we try to do won't be good enough. God, we need your help. And that's where we get to that next part of the story when we see the little boy come up with his five loaves and two fishes willing to share. And now I have a little boy. He's four years old. Maybe this boy was a little older than that, coming there with his siblings. Maybe he lived in a nearby village, and it was safe for him to travel there. And his mom sent him on his way with five loaves, two fishes. And I'm thinking, my son would probably be the one that would share. My son has been taught that sharing is caring, you know. But I have to go a little bit deeper than this because this isn't like sharing on a good day where my son is in a house full of food and now it's like, do you want to share? No, the, the, the equivalent to this would probably be there's only one candy bar in the house. My son has been in the house 12 hours, not eating anything. I give him that one candy bar and then I leave it up to him whether or not he wants to share it with Jesus or anybody else in that room. What do you think our children are going to say in that situation? This is my candy bar. I'm eating it. And if my son would be kind and compassionate, you know what he would do? He would break you off a little piece. But he would make sure the biggest piece is for him. He would break you off something, but he's going to do just a little bit for you, a little bit for you. But he's going to make sure he's got the biggest piece. What I love about this boy, because if you remember, the Bible says that children, that those who have faith like a child inherit the kingdom of God. So it wasn't by nature of the boy that he had this much faith. It was actually a spiritual thing in the boy. So meaning if you probably would have asked 10 boys to do this, this is probably one out of 10 boys that did it. Who knows however many people turned down them giving up their food. Right? So you got disciples going around. There might have been a family going, oh, yeah, Peter, we, we've got some loaves of bread and fishes here. But, you know, I need it for my family. I, I can't give it up. And then they go to the next one. Hey, do you have anything you would like to share? Yeah, I, I wish I did. But, you know, since we've been here since, you know, 6 in the morning, I don't have anything to share. And you probably just, you know, see them walk over to a little boy and he's got his little basket. And and they go, do you want to share? And it almost seems like like you're picking on the kid, right? But, but he, something in his heart, he makes a decision that probably others didn't. And he goes, yeah, I'll share. And so that shows us the faith of a child. And so he gives it to Jesus. And once again, we can sit back and go, yeah, you know, we always see ourselves as the good people in the story, right? Like we we would look at ourselves as the little boy. Of course we do this. But let me ask you a question. Do you share your 10% every time you get paid with Jesus? See, it gets quiet when I preach like that. Oh, but pastor, I need my tithe. I need my tithe. God God knows that I need my tithe. I've been working really hard. Well, well hold on. Do you want to see a miracle in your finances? Didn't the Bible say to put God first in all that you do? Isn't to tithe a command? You see, we we talk real big when it comes to stuff that we don't need anymore. We'll give that stuff. You know, if I don't need that $5, I'll give that to God. Or when it comes to, like, giving to others, we'll always give, like, those pair of shoes we don't wear anymore, right? It's like, you can have these pair of shoes or that purse that we don't have anymore. Have you ever seen a a woman give that coach purse that she just got on Christmas, go right down to the, the Goodwill and give that away? Have you ever seen the young person who just got his Jordans give those shoes away? No, once he gets the new Jordan, he goes to his old Jordans and gives those away. See, this young boy is teaching us, sometimes you got to give everything you have away. Sometimes you got to give God your best if you want to see a miracle. And I'm not saying this is every time, and I'm not trying to bribe you to give more in your offerings, but I am going to tell you this. Oftentimes, the people that I see not having the miracles, not having the breakthrough, aren't willing to do what this little boy did. Let's, say, let's take a real, real practical example. Go back to marriage. God says, I want to bless your marriage. And, and, and then you say back to God, okay, God, how do you want to do it? And God says, I want you to give me the first 15 minutes of your day with your spouse every day to me. And all of a sudden we get real quiet, don't we? We're like, oh, I don't know, God, that's my coffee time. I'm not really a morning person. My wife's got to take care of the kids. So do you mean we got to get up at 545 and give you 15 minutes, 545 a.m. to 6? If you you're gonna bless our marriage, and God goes, yep, give me your best. Give me your first. Show me that you want to see a miracle in your marriage. I'm not saying that we're saved by works, but you remember, God uses the practical commands He gives us to produce the results. He didn't just make it rain bread from heaven, did He? He didn't start shooting it out from like His his robe and go, here's bread. You know, He didn't do what He even did in the Old Testament, manna, come up from the ground. He uses a boy's sacrifice and organizes it through His disciples. I just wonder how much of us, how many of us are willing to... Be a disciple, be like a young boy, and give up everything we have and do it God's way to see the miracle. Now, here's where uh, we, we get the synoptic help here. Mark says he told him to sit down in hundreds and fifties so that there's going to be an organization here. And then Matthew says that the 5,000 were only the men, so he was not, the, the John was not including women and children, so the number is more likely to be 20,000 people. This is a small city. This is a town. I mean, this is an amazing amount of people. And yet Jesus has it all under control because he's got the father with him, the boy's sacrifice that he can use to do the miracle, and the disciples willing to serve and bring forth that miracle. And so here's the thing. Do you, do you want to always see yourself in this story? Who do you see yourself as? Do you always want to see yourself as the one getting the bread? Or do you want to see yourself as the boy giving the bread and the disciples handing out the bread? Too often we see ourselves as the taker in these stories. Well, I would have been there eating with Jesus. I like to see myself as the one giving the food to Jesus. I like to see myself as the disciples going, okay, guys, you sit in groups of 50. You sit in groups of 100. The master's about ready to do something. We get to participate in the miracle. Then we see that God blessed it. The fish, the bread, it's multiplied, it feeds everybody, 12 baskets left over. The people witnessed this, and they believed that Jesus was a prophet. Now you see it together, sign and teaching, the teaching, the sign. It's all together now. They understand who Jesus is, and this is where we got to pause in the story, y'all, and each one of you have got to ask yourself this question in your own heart. Do I believe that miracle happened? Check your 21st century mind right now and ask yourself down deep in your heart who you really are, what you really believe, did that happen? Because if you see Jesus only as a mythological figure that makes your life a little better every now and then, or you see Jesus as as one of many religious teachers that you're going to have a spiritual buffet with, put a little Jesus with a side of Buddha, a little touch of, of Muhammad, whatever, you're missing the whole point here. Jesus alone can do something like this. He's not a magician, so we don't believe he's lying or tricking. So, did it really happen this way? Did it really happen? I believe it did. And I always have to answer this question this way in the 21st century because people ask, well, how did it happen? And then sometimes well-meaning Christians think like, well, you know, we don't need to know how it happened. You know, God can defy logic. It doesn't have to fit into our brain. And part of that is true, but there's a part of that that's dangerous. And let me hit on this. We don't always have to understand what God does. God is beyond us. But here's the thing. God is never illogical. The Bible says this, God is not a man that he should lie. Anything that is illogical is a lie. So God will never violate the law of non-contradiction, the law of identity, all of these logical principles. Also, sometimes people think that God is against science, that somehow, that since God did it this way, then that means he's anti-science. Absolutely not. This is 100% scientific, and it's 100% logical. How can that be as a miracle? Well, Augustine and many others, church fathers, as well as myself, believe that all miracles are is God using his power in the natural world with the logical order he has set up. So let's just see right now, those of you who may doubt or just want a good foundation to base your belief in miracles on, let's just see if it makes sense to you logically. Do you believe the Bible in the first book, first four words, in the beginning God? How many believe that? Okay, now let's say somebody didn't believe that. I would say for the sake of argument, could you believe it? So let's just go to that premise, in the beginning, God. Now, according to us as Christians, does the chicken come first or the egg? Which one comes first? According to to, uh, Christian belief, what do we believe? Chicken, God creates chickens. Chickens then reproduce after their kinds and produce eggs, right? So according to our belief, that's how things came about. What is the alternative to that belief? Somebody may say evolution, but evolution doesn't explain where things came from. It just explains how things have evolved and changed. So where did the chicken come from? So they say, well, the chicken came from something that was like a chicken, and then it came from something like a chicken or whatever, and it goes back to, you know, the goo through the zoo to you as I like to talk about evolution. But the point is, if you don't believe in the beginning God, you have to believe something created everything. Or excuse me, nothing created everything. Can, can something come from nothing? No. So if you don't believe in something illogical, like if you don't believe in an illogical thought that's, that something can come from nothing, then you believe in the logical thought that something comes from something. So I know, I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. God said it. What? Bang. It happened. You guys tracking with me now. Now watch into this miracle. What is a fish? What is a fish? Well, we would say a fish is, a, you know, an aquatic animal or whatever, you know, it lives in the water, has gills. Okay, but what is a fish in the molecular level? What is it? It's nothing but the atoms that God created from the very beginning. Is it illogical to think that the one who created the first fish just created and rearranged atoms and molecules right there and then to create more fish? If there's God, is that impossible? Is it illogical? No, God can do it. Did he do it scientifically? Yes. How was the first fish formed? How was it formed? Through the atoms, the molecules forming together what we now know as a fish. Jesus did that, and then he created the law of reproduction. Could God create more fish as he created the first fish? Absolutely. If you would have had that fish, you would have had a fish of the same molecular structure, the same atomic structure as all the fishes in the ocean, maybe aside, aside from some genetic differences, but it was a fish as a fish is a fish. The bread was a bread. The whole entire thing that people get their mind wrapped around is that, uh, where they can't get it, their mind wrapped around is that God can do it in the flesh. But if you go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, who is Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Who is Jesus then? God in the flesh. Can he create at any given point what he wants to do? Can he rearrange the molecules of water and the, the, the weight of his body, the mass ratio of his body? Can he do that at any given time? Absolutely. You see, what we understand is that miracles are not illogical; They're not unscientific. All it is is a supernatural power coming into a natural world. God made the natural world to function on natural laws. But that doesn't mean the natural world has greater laws than the supernatural world. Because the Bible says from faith everything came from God, spoken word, spiritual realm, came everything that is here. So who or what controls the natural world, the spiritual world? Who or what controls all of the atoms and all of the molecules, how they form and how they function? God does. And so does God have the right on his own planet to form fish Out of those same molecules? Absolutely. And if a scientist would have looked at it, he would have said, this is a fish. Can I get an amen? That's a little discussion on God and miracles. If you want more of that discussion, I'll send you the the link from St. Augustine and some of his thoughts on it. And lastly, we see here, which is mind-blowing, is that Jesus withdraws to a mountain instead of letting the people make him a king. Because right here, you're thinking, Jesus, we got some momentum here. 20,000 people are following us. They've seen all the signs. <laughs> let's march you to Jerusalem. Let's have you be the king. Let's have you then multiply, make us some swords, take over Caesar and Rome, and let's own this bad mamma jamma. Let's take it over. Now, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes off to the mountains to be by himself. How often do you and I think That what Jesus is saying when he says this is what he means over here. How often do we get this confused? So, for example, I get saved. Jesus promises me a wife. I'm thinking I'm getting that today. God says, no, you're going to be off by yourself for many years because it's going to come his way. One day he does come and rule and reign as king. We're still waiting for that. That's the second coming, 2,000 years in the making. He said, I'll be back, right? He's going to keep his word, right? But it's not our way. It's not our time. His first coming was to die, for our, uh, die for, on the cross for our sins. As I like to say, he conquered our heart, not our lives. He didn't come and conquer the world. He conquered our hearts. And so here's what I want to ask you. In the midst of God's miracle, in the midst of God doing what he does, are you willing to follow him for who he is instead of what he gives? Because we find later on John chapter 6, as those of you who do your homework, they were getting really mad with him. Even the disciples. And in John 6 verse 66. Anybody get that? John chapter 6, verse 66, 6,66,66. 6, 6. The Bible says, "Many of these disciples leave him. Why do they leave him? Because he doesn't want to do things their way. How oftentimes do we try to get our friends to come to church because come to church, your life will be better. Come to church, you'll have fun. Come to church. And yes, that may be true. This is the best place to be. Living for God is the best life. But many of us don't realize that, many, that for us here, some of our lives are still going to be very hard as a Christian. And God hasn't promised, promised us a life without those hardships, but he's promised us his presence in the midst of the hardships. So it's like, are you seeking God's hand or his face? Do you want his presence, his gifts, or you want his presence, him being with you? What do you want? I put first his face, and then I'll have his hand. I put first his presence, his, his, uh, his, his being with me, and then he'll give me the presence like a gift. And that's what we learn from this. How many are ready for the message today? Somebody say preach. So I got a few minutes to preach to you now the message. Rachel, will you come to the keys, please? I only got uh, six points on the message. Has everybody got time for this? Y'all hungry for the word of the Lord, amen? You're like the 5,000 ready to go deep for God. So here's quickly what we can take away from this. What's the uh, applications? Number one, always put God first. What brought those people to that mountainside was they were seeking God first. Others had seen the signs, weren't that impressed, went off about their day. Some had left early after Jesus didn't feed them by lunchtime. But those who stuck around for the whole thing were obeying Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What's another teaching that Jesus gave us? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So what hunger is greater in your life? The physical hunger or the spiritual hunger? The Bible actually says that physical hunger is a reminder of spiritual hunger. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How hungry are you for the word of God today? Jesus was spending time in John chapter four with the woman at the well. He skipped over his lunch. The disciple said, why haven't you eaten anything? And he says, my food is to do the will of the Lord. What we need to do is start to prioritize things again in our life. I'm not putting down those who are overweight or have credit card debt because I've been there too. But this generation has gorged itself on food, gorged itself on pleasures, gorged itself on relationships, on Facebook. How many friends do I have? And all of these things have left us empty. All of these things have left us dry. And God is saying, spend 12 hours with me without those things and you'll have more than those things ever gave you. But there's a trade. There's a sacrifice. I lay down this to take up this. I forsake this to pursue this. Just as you cannot walk in two directions at the same time, and just like you can't eat, you know, two types of things at the same time, unless you mush it all together as my one cousin did, and, or my brother-in-law made his plate look nasty. He just kept putting more stuff on there, and he ate it like that. That's another story. Remember I said I got crazy and cool family, but if you think about it, you can't eat and drink at the same time. There's another example, and if I want to eat a pizza, I eat a pizza, and if I want to, you know, Eat lasagna, I eat lasagna. You don't, you don't eat them at the same time. And the Bible also says that your heart is like that. You don't have fresh water and salt water at the same time. What are you hungry for? The things of the flesh or the things of God. Can I get an amen? The next thing that we see is that we have to take away from this. It's good to admit our inability and choose God's ability. 2 Corinthians 3.5, the great apostle Paul said, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So you find yourself challenged in life to be the mother, the father, the student, the young person, the holy man or woman of God. You find yourself challenged by something that's more insurmountable than feeding 20,000 people. Guess what you're supposed to do at that time? You're supposed to say, I can't do this, but I know someone who can. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can't, but he can. And we know through the word impossible, I am possible is the great I am of God. It's possible with him. Jesus says, I am possible. I make all things possible. The next thing that we take away is give everything to Jesus. I love the scriptures, the vision of our church. Love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All. A-L-L what? All your heart. How much of your soul? All your soul. How much of your mind? How much of your strength? That's what you give to God. That young boy could have tried to make a deal with God. He could have said, you know what? You're God. You're going to do a miracle anyway. Why don't I keep half just in case something goes bad? Maybe you'll forget about me. That miracle required all of that boy's food. And I look at all the other miracles of the Bible, the the widow's might, Elisha and the widow, her giving her last bit of oil and food. Why is God doing that to us? Is he doing that to only test us because he's cruel and mean? Or is he doing that because he knows what we have in our hands will never satisfy anyway? See, I think it's that way. Why does God bring me to the end of my ability as a minister to the point where I get frustrated and go, why aren't we at 100,000 yet? Why does he do that? Because he wants to remind me it's never about you anyway. You can't do it anyway. Why does he allow our loved ones to die? To r- remind us, you don't control life. You don't control this. God, after we had sinned, could have taken us to heaven. Made, I mean, after we were born again, could have took us to heaven and eliminated all of life's lessons. But there's something in the process of life that God gets glory in, and I believe it comes through our love. It's not that God is testing us because he likes the painful test itself, but he likes the results that it does in our heart, and he's doing something in men's hearts that angels refuse to have done. See, remember, angels had God's presence but still rejected him. We don't even have the throne of God, but yet we still choose him. This was the combat of Job with with Satan and God. See, what God was saying is, I have people that do more than you ever did for me. And Satan was saying, well, that's because you protect them. You have all of this stuff around him. And, and what Jesus said to the, to the devil was, take it all away and he'll still worship me. Because they're not in it for that. That's what you were in it for and why you got cast out, in other words. They're not in it for that. They're not here for streets of gold, for the ability to be worshipped and have power. They're here for the relationship that I give. And you can almost see in that, this little side trail that I'm taking now with Job and the devil, you can almost see as Job is worshiping God and remaining true to God in the midst of this great pain, the loss of his children, the loss of all of his property, the body being covered in boils, you can almost just look at Jesus in heaven telling the devil, Devil, who do you have like this that will serve and worship you when everything goes wrong? They only serve you, devil, because you make them popular, you make them famous, but my children serve me regardless of anything I do in their life. See, that's the true heart of love Whether my wife does another thing for me, I still love her Why? Because she loves me Because she's given me her heart She touches a part of me that's worth more than anything that this world could ever provide for me And that's what God wants from you He doesn't want part of you, He wants all of you That little boy is a lesson of total surrender Can I get an amen? We see that God used the disciples You know I'm moving quickly And God wants to use us When we get involved with Jesus, we can now be a part of the miracle. What miracles does God want to use you to be a part of? Where does he want you to bring his word to others as that living bread? Where does he want you to go to the 50s and the 100s and to make a difference? Is it your neighbors? Is it your job? We can all be used of the Lord. And here it says that we're to make disciples of all the nations. But there's something so important here. Teaching them to obey. How many things he commanded? Everything. Everybody say everything. Every command of God is for our benefit and for His glory. They are not ever uh, meaningless commands. They are not just trivial commands. Every command is for your benefit in God's glory. How many have already seen God's commands do that? Change your life, impact your life, and bring Him glory. Here's some good stuff. We need to get ready for Abundance. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Jesus knew that the Father could rearrange these molecules and make this thing amazing. And what they end up having left over, these 12 baskets and all of these things. Where do you think those baskets went afterward? I bet you some of them went to the boy who gave the bread. Imagine this boy coming home with these baskets on his shoulder. He comes home, he drops it like it's hot in his mom's house. And it's like, boom. She's like, boy, where'd you get this? Jesus I had a word in our first service, and I just want to say this to you. God wants to have you to carry baskets in this world of blessing. He wants to bless you to be a blessing. Baskets of provision upon your jobs and creative ideas and companies. Baskets of love and kindness to your neighbors. Baskets of uh, encouraging words to your children, building up their soul and their inner person. God wants us to have an abundance To not only meet our needs, but the needs of others. And you may say, Pastor, well, I've tried some of that and it hasn't worked. Well, here's the Bible promise. This is what I know does work. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. He said it. He promised it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen? And then lastly, what we see here is that he goes off to that mountainside teaching us he's going to do it his way. John chapter 6 goes on. We see what happens with these people. Here's the mind-blown part. This will blow your mind right here. Here's the awesome heavy revy right here. You all ready for this? In John chapter 6, verse 35, he shows them that the whole thing that he did right there, that whole feeding of the 5,000, that wasn't even just to feed the 5,000 that was a living metaphor, a actual parable right in front of them because he tells them in John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And they got so mad at him because they're like, well, how are we supposed to eat you, Jesus? How are we supposed to do that? And he said, but the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And how many of you have been in this world eating the bread of wickedness? To, to you just feel like you're going to puke you have as much of the world as you can and it never satisfied but how many of you know the moment you came to Jesus and you tasted and saw that the Lord was good he satisfied you he filled up your soul he literally kept his word 2,000 years later we don't even have the living witnesses of this story all we have is their Bible you know which I their, their the gospel which I know is a living testimony but we we don't have any like real physical evidence of this and yet every day, God is filling spiritual bellies with His bread of heaven. And that just blows my mind that you and I get to taste and see how good the Lord is. Little old us. But what do I have to do first? Just surrender everything. And then He fills me over and over and over again. I could keep you here all day, but I won't. But I had an encounter with God on my bike ride. I believe it was uh, Friday, you know, and I just, man, I just sensed again afresh in the new. I've been serving God 21 years, and I felt that God prepared for me a banquet right in front of me, like the Bible says. He prepared the table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I want to encourage you today to come to the Lord and let Him satisfy your soul. That's what I believe this is teaching us. Would you stand and give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Come on. Let's give it up for the bread of life today. No, that's not good enough. Come on. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. Altar workers, would you come, please? This is what I found out this week as studying this, and I hope that you get it as well today. Thank you, sir. Is that whenever you find yourself in lack or in a time of a tremendous command to follow God or a tremendous quest, as I want to call it, a calling, you find yourself in an insurmountable Situation in your life. It seems so huge, so big, and you have so little to offer. You are in a perfect place for a miracle. Does everybody get that today? Just think about that as you just close your eyes. Just, Just close your eyes and think about this. The perfect place to be in this story is with Jesus. With nothing but five loaves and two fishes. That is the perfect place to be. How often have we given up on the brink of our miracle because we run home scared to go to where we have more bread, where we have more fish, and we don't let God multiply the little we gave Him. How often do single people run back to the boyfriends of old, the same kind of environments that they tried to find relationships in before never worked, instead of staying right where we're at and letting God satisfy us and bring us His best. How often, as, as people who live paycheck to paycheck or don't have enough to make ends meet, how often do we hold back our offerings and our tithes from God when He's saying, Trust me, I got you? And how often do all of us freak out when we get bad news, whether it's the sickness of a loved one, you know, a bad report from the doctor or our own issues, and we want to run away from church? run away from the Bible instead of staying right where we're at, going, okay, God, you brought me to this place to bring me through this place. Right now, I just want you to think about three things in prayer before we go. We have prayer workers, and we'll sing a song at the end, but right now, individually, let's just think about these three things. Number one, what's a situation in my life that I feel intimidated by? I don't have the ability to do it. Number two... What is God asking me to do like he did with the disciples and the kid giving up the bread? And number three, am I willing to trust him and not move until the miracle happens? Three things right now, would you make it personal in your prayer time? What is the number one need of your life right now? That word keeps coming up today, insurmountable. It's impossible to do on your own. Are you going to surrender it or are you going to try to fix it on your own? You will have a part to play, but right now you determine what comes first, God's way or your way. Jesus. Those of us who already know what that is, come on, surrender it to God. Will we, can we raise our hands right now as an act of surrender and say, Lord, I give you this issue, I give you this situation, I give you this drought, I give you this famine, I give you this debt, I give you this bad relationship, I give you this sin, my frustration and anger, my family, whatever it is, lift it up. And now say, Lord, command me to do what you want me to do. Let's go. Come on, God. What are we going to do, Jesus? Where's my participation in this? What do you want me to do? I gave you examples. Maybe God will speak one to you right now. God may say, you're surrendering me your marriage? Okay, tomorrow morning, 545, you, me, your wife, let's start working on it. You, you may be calling out to the Lord saying, God, I'm sick. I need you. God says, okay, I'm going to start giving you Holy Ghost medicine. You're going to start reading your word and memorizing it every day, and it's going to build you up so you can face the situation. You may be looking for a career. We have a lot of young adults, so you want God to direct your life. Right now, God says, I want you to serve, refresh others, and I'll refresh you. I'll guide your past, volunteer in a ministry, Wednesday night with the kids, Friday with the youth. Do something for others and I'll start guiding you. A bike moving, easier to steer than one standing still. Come on, 30 more seconds. You and God right now, what is it you're surrendering and what is it he telling you to do? Jesus. Jesus. I surrender. I give it up to you today, God. All my bread, all my loaves, do a miracle in me that I could never do. I can never do this without you, God. Give you my children, God. Raise them up. Raise them up. I give you my marriage, God. Strengthen it to last, till death do us part. I give you this church, God. Establish it on disciples for 100,000 churches around the nation, Jesus, and other nations. Right now. Now, if you believe it, let's do the third thing. Let's begin to praise and worship Him. Thank Him in our own words right now. Because we don't have to see it first to believe it. The little boy didn't have to see it first to believe it. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things that we not yet have. Who has faith in this place right now? Faith. Because without it, it's impossible to please God. So why don't you praise Him as if that mountain's been already moved? Why don't you praise Him as if tomorrow you're getting a promotion? Why don't you praise Him? Come on, as if you've already seen the future and your children turn out okay. Come on, praise Him now. Praise Him now based on His Word. Thank Him. We thank You, Jesus. No one's like You. Everybody else would disappoint us. Everybody else would fall short. But you say, those who hope in you will never be disappointed. We'll never shake our fists back at you and say, oh, why did it turn out this way? All things work together for our good. All things, God. All things. I believe it today, Jesus. Woo! I thank you. Jesus. Jesus. A few more moments. Now, let's sing just before we dismiss, please, this worship. Fill me up till I overflow.
0: I want to run over. I want
4: to run over. Just a few moments. Don't be in a hurry today. Fill your soul up today. Fill your soul up with God. He overflows. Oh, I
0: want to I want to run. Fill me up Till I overflow
4: I want to run over I want to run over One more time Fill me up Fill me
0: up Till I overflow I want to run over I want to run over
4: Can I get your attention before we go? I was talking to my wife the other day about how we want the tangible bread so often of God, but it's the deeper spiritual bread that we really need. And I want you just to think about it, and I was sharing it with Sister Isis as well, Iris. Think about this. Whether it's you wanting to be around Jesus like the disciples were, touch Him, hang out with Him, slap Him, high five, eat the bread, have the miracle, whatever. Jesus left on purpose. That wasn't an accident. It's not like, oh, Jesus, why did you leave? And like when we get up there, he's going to be like, yeah, I should have stayed around a little bit more so I could have hung out with Daryl. There was a reason why he left. So that the Holy Spirit may come and dwell with us and for us to each have a personal, intimate relationship with God. Even in the new Jerusalem, Jesus will be in one place at one time. All of us who have been born again will be used to the relationship at that place because we've already been fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, hearing Jesus' voice. Are you with me? So now on this earth, what is most important? It's the same with the kingdom to come. It's not the physical. It's the spiritual. So now here's the deal. Where are you in your body? Where is the real you existing right now? as a spirit and soul, right? And earthly bread can't touch that. Earthly bread doesn't touch that. Even if you had a broken arm and God grew out your arm, doesn't touch that. What touches the soul? The spirit of God. So think of this. God is real bread. Real drink. But it's not fish and water and wine made of molecule cells and atoms that are of nature. It's of the Spirit. And so today, my friends, you and I can leave out of here full of God, overflowing with the baskets to give others and never run dry or hunger again. Amen. Hunger for something else. Just hunger for God. Amen. Could we hold hands like as if we were at a Family dinner today because guess what? I just served up a meal, right? This was the meal of the Lord. This was the bread of the Lord and guess what these are these are the disciples come on You guys can do it. You can do it And these are the Holy Ghost waiters. So here's the deal After we pray if you want to get served up some more bread Ask them to pray with you or have a wonderful day as you're dismissed But we're going to pray for those who need it in worship before we go. Is that cool? All right, I'm going to have Daryl pray for us real quick. I see you're hungry for the Lord.
1: Oh, we thank you, Father. God, we thank you. You are the God of abundance. God, you are the God of multiplication, God. You multiply it, Father. God.